Welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. My name is Darby Toth, a Technical Field Services Representative with Western United Dairies. And I'm Melissa Lima, the North Coast and Organic Field Services Rep with Western United Dairies. How's it going, Darby? You know what? It's going well. We're cooling down here this weekend, so I'm really ready for a nice high 80s weekend in Hanford. Oh, I'm jealous. We actually had some great weather up north this week, and I I love our weekly weather report. It's kind of fun, and I've heard some good feedback, so we'll keep it up. But we are getting a little rain today, maybe a little tomorrow, but boy, what a grass year we're having up here on the coast. We're all really uh, thankful, and I think PG&E is the only group not thankful because they're not getting any of these high irrigation electric bills, but otherwise, it's, it's been a nice summer so far, so... Yeah, I feel like you guys have had quite a lot of late rain this year, from what I've heard through our chats during the podcast. <laughs> we'll take it. Um, I do I do uh, get a little jealous about those 80-degree days, so hopefully we're headed that way pretty quick. Um, so today we have a pretty good episode, a little bit lighter this week. As everyone knows, we had the um, CDFA hearings this week, so our content was a little bit limited, but we're going to hear from Annie, a really another positive market update good to see so many positive rebounds from this COVID stuff. And then I um, had a chance to talk with Justin Oldfield from the California Cattle Council this week. So really good information for producers and hopefully at the end, a little wrap up with some, some good info about how producers can sort of start taking a little more precaution on the dairy um, or continuing the precaution they're taking as far as the um, COVID-19 issue, which we know still is persisting. Yeah, in addition to the quota hearing this week, our staff has been really hard at work going through our membership roster as well as our mailing list for our update. So if you feel that you should be receiving the update and you're not, you can give our office a call and we'd be happy to put you on the list to receive the update. If you're happy with the email, that's great. But if you'd really like, we can also put you on a physical mailing address list for the update. Great. Yeah, lots of lots of little kind of more tedious tasks this week but it was a good good break from COVID-19 but alas we will revisit that again today so (laughs) all right and to start us off we are going to open with Annie's market update thanks Melissa and Darby I am glad to be talking milk prices again this week really looking at them these days it'd be easy to forget we're finally slowly coming out, hopefully, of a pandemic. Um, Price increases that are really unusual. I mean, we're looking at USDA prices this week gained almost 30 cents compared to last week. Really riding the CME's enthusiasm from the past few weeks. Um, We have a USDA price now for block cheese that stands at $1.90 per pound. This is back to where we were in February before all the global virus concerns really started. Uh, CME block prices are even higher uh, they're at two fifty four a pound. They hit high again this week. Um, USDA barrel prices also did amazing, gaining nineteen cents this week to a dollar eighty four. Barrels uh, at the CME had a little bit of setback um, of a nickel, but you know the price is still really high at two thirty six per pound. Um, we've seen this week a few news outlets that are trying to creep in some bad news about COVID-19 cases going up in some states. Uh, but thankfully, it didn't seem like the market really um, got its positive energy sapped because of that. And so hopefully we don't get more of those reports in the next few weeks and things continue to reopen because as restaurants 
we've talked about this last week as restaurants are, you know, reopening, everybody's rushing to get um, supplies. And so that, that's really creating this, this uh, short-term shortage of fresh cheese, which has been really helpful in pushing the price up. Um, if we look at butter markets, they're a little bit slower, but hey, at least they're still going up. Um, the butter price um, and the, the, in the National Dairy Product Sales Report Survey, so this is the survey that goes into USDA prices and to your federal order formula, gained uh, 3.79 cents. And so the price now is $1.5983. This is not a $2 mark that we've you know seen for a few years um, in the past few years. But that being said, the CME butter price is approaching that $2 mark and it was $1.95 this week. And so hopefully the USDA price continues to catch up slowly but surely and we get closer to that uh, here in our, our formulas too. Interestingly, the butter exports were up in April uh, compared to a year ago. But if you recall, April 2019 exports volume, I mean, was really close to not very much. It was down like 71% from the year before. So the bar wasn't really high. Um, if we look at USD non-federal milk prices, they've been moving even slower. Um, a gain of uh, three cents this week was really welcomed compared to, you know, the little penny changes here and there. Uh, so the, the powder price now, um, the USDA's survey is at 88 cents per pound. But if we look at CME, like everything else, they seem to be doing better. So we're approaching the dollar threshold. Uh, they were 98 cents a pound yesterday. Despite all the concerns, you know, with the supply chain disruptions and potential trade issues, powder exports in April were up year over year by 20%. And so really, um, the, the trade data, I mentioned that for butter too and powder, was really pretty good for April, all things uh, considered. Even if you look at the, the solids, solids basis, exports were up 10% year over year in April. And even in value basis, you know, the prices was down in April. But despite all that, uh, the value of all U.S. exports uh, was up 4% from a year ago. And so that's uh, positive news coming out of the trade front. And so if we look at the USDA export, U.S. Dairy Export Council does an estimate um, in it was 15.3% of U.S. production in April that was exported, up from 14% a year ago. So um, this concludes the, the market update for this week. And I think now we'll go back uh, to Melissa, and I think we'll discuss um, a little bit of the hearing and what happened with quota this week. Well, Annie, thanks for another upbeat market update this week. We're going to give you all the credit for the good news. Um, moving from the market update into the chapter 3.5 hearing that happened this week, it seems to be the elephant, um, in the room and we want to make sure we address that. Um, certainly it was a little bit of a circus, if not an elephant, um, not to take away the seriousness of the hearing, but it was, it was a little bit of a challenge to listen in and, and there's a lot of, um, interruptions and just different things that hopefully going forward, if this has to happen this way again, can be smoothed out, but Annie, could you give us a little bit of an update about, you know, just exactly what the hearing was and what happened this week? Yeah, so the, there was a lot of participation participation from uh, producers, you know, like people logging in and out, which I think was part of the problem and in the interruptions. Every time somebody would log in, it would ding. And, you know, technic technology is not always um, straightforward. So it seems like there were some issues there and, and mutings and such. But it didn't seem to discourage uh, for people from testifying. There was a lot of really engaged people. And so just a reminder, this hearing was on uh, Chapter 3.5 and the petition that Stop Quip filed with CDFA to um, eliminate Chapter 3.5. And, and if you eliminate Chapter 3.5, 
uh, that's where the authority for Quip is. And so that would mean that eliminating 3.5 also eliminates Quip's authority. And so uh, a lot of the discussion focused on that. This was the call of the hearing was really, you know, to determine whether there should be a referendum on uh, whether to eliminate chapter 3.5 or not. And the big issue at stake here is that the thresholds, the voting thresholds in chapter 3.5 are different than the voting thresholds that were used to put the quip into place. And so both parties, you know, the stop quip argued that if producers wanted to vote, they should be able to vote. And the people on the other side, there's a group called Safe Quip, um, argued that um, really this was not the proper method. And also a group in, in the middle that has been working on this process, uh, the United Dairy Families of California, also argued that um, Chapter 3.5 is not the proper way to vote a quota because this is not how it was voted in, which the language says in the quip, you know, um, technically if quota is voted one way, it should be voted out um, the same way. Yeah, I watched the hearing, as did uh, most of our staff, Annie, and um, just checked in and out once or twice when I had other calls that came through. But um, just to kind of update the audience, there was a, a presentation by attorneys for the Stop Quip group, and then the attorneys for the other two groups uh, made presentations after that. There were a lot of experts and witnesses, but I think the most stirring part for me was that there was probably close to 100 dairy producers that actually testified throughout the two-day process. So starting at, you know, Tuesday afternoon through all day yesterday, we heard from quite a few dairy voices and, and strong, probably really valid and good arguments were made on both sides of the issue, I think. So um, it'll be up to the judge to determine what happens next. And we were, we're kind of still in the dark about the timeline of that process, although we do know that um, post-hearing briefs are due in about seven to 10 days, correct? Yeah. And there was, you're right about the, the voices on both sides. I mean, even though the call, the hearing was specifically on chapter 3.5, I think a lot of families, you know, really went from the heart in terms of what quota meant for them, whether it's eliminating it or keeping it. And so there's a lot of passion and conviction. And Scott, I think it's going to be really interesting for the judge to, to look at all the testimony that was delivered. And people were only allowed five minutes and I, I think for those, for such a complicated issue and such a heartfelt um, deal, it was really hard to stay within the, the five minutes. And so people were talking faster and the judge would tell them to stop. So hopefully, you know, the court reporter got some good notes uh, throughout the process because it was, you know, five minutes is not a long time to talk about something that that matters so much. Absolutely. And I think um, as important as this issue is, it shows that we have a lot to work on within our industry and, you know, that sometimes is taken away from addressing, you know, threats that come from outside the industry. So hopefully, I think it's it's going to be a lengthy process to get this all figured out. But hopefully, you know, moving through the next year, we can we can sort some of this out and move on to to other issues. Um, but again, it's super, super important to so, so many people in the industry. So in that vein, Annie, can you give us a little update on um, next steps beyond just the results of this hearing? There's a couple of other things going on that producers should be aware of. Yeah. And you mentioned it'll be good to to find a solution, but I don't think we're getting that close just because one, this, this hearing will take a while before we hear from the judge, but also mm -hmm. there's, there's two other things related to quota that are in the works already. And so the UDFC announced that they submitted a petition to the secretary um, to basically um, they added, they're submitting this petition because they are saying they have enough signatures to warrant um, a referendum. And what their petition is on is on um, a plan that was developed throughout 
you know, starting mid 2019, all the way through Farm Show, where they have worked with the industry through producer surveys, and they hired outside consultants with Dr. Bozik and Matt Gould. I've been working with a group to really develop this plan that the goal was to find unity in the industry. And so through surveys, through meetings where people were able to share output, they developed this plan and it was announced at the farm show what the result was. And so since then, I think they've been busy gathering enough signatures and they finally gave that to secretary. And what this plan would do is it would phase out the quota program over five years. And so specifically, the termination date would be March 1, 2025. Um, it would immediately equalize regional quota adjusters. So basically everybody who has quota be getting paid the lowest rate of $1.43 a hundred weight for all counties. And um, also, you know, their petition states that this plan should be implemented by a producer referendum and using the same thresholds that were used to put in place um, the quip. And so this was just submitted to secretary. Now they have 90 days uh, CDFA to validate all the signatures. And so we might not hear for another three months, whether this petition will be heard by um, the secretary or not. And so there's, a lot of uh, lag into things. And if that's not enough to keep the quota uh, discussion going, well, there's also a court date that has been set for July 28. So we mentioned this probably a few months ago now, and probably longer than that with COVID. It seems like everything has been going flying by, but um, StopQuip is also suing uh, the department. And so um, that, that court date has been set for July 28. And so we're going to be able to share more details with uh, our members as, as, as this gets closer. But this also is something else that is in the works for the summer regor regarding uh, quota. Great. So a lot going on this summer and probably well into 2021, if not past that. So thanks so much for the update, Annie. And again, it was, it was good to start out with some really good news on the market front. And I wouldn't call this all bad news. It's it's a process that the industry has to work through and we have to tackle it. It's one of those uncomfortable, you know, things that we have to do, but it's definitely, it weighs on people and it's a little more stressful. So hopefully uh, we can all, you know, try to take care of each other and, and remain friends through the process. I hope so. Great. Thanks, Annie. Have a good weekend. You as well. Thanks, Annie and Melissa. Now we'll transition to an update on the California Cattle Council. Melissa was able to sit down with Executive Director Justin Oldfield this week to learn more about the newly formed organization and the work that they're doing on behalf of California cattle producers. Thanks, Darby. I'm so pleased to be here today with the Executive Director of the California Cattle Council and a friend of Western United Dairies, Justin Oldfield. Thanks so much, Justin, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, Justin, um, if you could just introduce a little bit about yourself and your background for our audience, please. Sure, no problem. Um, so I, uh, I've been in the livestock uh, industry for some time now. Uh, I previously uh, had the opportunity to work at the California Cattlemen's Association uh, as, a, uh, as their lobbyist uh, for, for roughly 12 years, um, working in the capital and uh, having an opportunity to engage on many of the pressing issues related to livestock. Uh, I also had the opportunity to engage on many of the uh, campaigns and issues uh, that had an impact on the dairy industry. So I bring, uh, I, bring I think, a good amount of experience uh, and knowledge um, on issues impacting livestock producers, both beef and dairymen here in California, uh, to this job. And 
it's a real uh, great opportunity for me and truly a blessing to be able to serve our producers in the state to better advance um, helping uh, legislators, policymakers, uh, and um, Californians truly appreciate what we provide on a daily basis. Absolutely, and I would say just from my time with you on the California Cattle Health Advisory Task Force, your leadership and your knowledge of the industry definitely has shown through, Justin. So we're so glad to have you heading up the Cattle Council, um, and this is a really important endeavor that the cattle industries have undertaken in the last 18 months to a year. So could you just tell our audience a little bit about the Cattle Council, you know, what it's all about, how it came to be, and the structure? Sure. So the California Cattle Council came to be through the passage of legislation. Uh, so this was a very open and transparent process um, that, that took uh, more than a year to fulfill. And so producers had the opportunity to engage really at every step of its formation. So after the passage of the bill, um, the California Department of Food and Agriculture called for a vote of the state's producers, both beef and dairy. Um, and uh, we had an excellent turnout. That happened in February of last year. There was a significant turnout from um, all segments of California's livestock production industry, uh, and producers overwhelmingly voted uh, to support the additional dollar uh, that's assessed at the time of sale uh, to be contributed to what we now call the California Cattle Council. And I realize that there are a lot of other marketing associations out there, whether it's the California Milk Advisory Board, the California Beef Council, but I think really brought forward the ability for the California Cattle Council to be um, to be a new association and ultimately producers to overwhelmingly approve it was the fact that this is an organization that's really going to focus in on marketing and promoting and advocating for producers themselves, um, not necessarily the end products of what we produce on a daily basis. Of course, beef and dairy dairy products are very important, and the council will continue to support those efforts and, and promote, you know, the consumption of those products, but this is really focused on the producers themselves uh, and the social, environmental, and economic benefits we provide to the state of California. Absolutely, and that was um, a big hole in our industry. We have great organizations that promote the products that we produce, but I think um, as the industry as a whole to recognize that there was something really missing, and that was telling the story of what happens before the steak or the glass of milk get to your kitchen table is, is such an important role that you guys are filling. Um, Justin, could you tell us a little bit about, um, you guys really had to hit the ground running over the last year and a half, and can you really tell us a, a little bit about your strategic plan and going forward, you know, how you see the organization, I guess, um, you know, existing in, in the industry and, and promoting what we do on the ground on these farms and ranches? Sure. So assessments began November 9th of last year. And so uh, once that began, uh, I was hired. We started to uh, get our ducks in a row as it relates to becoming a new organization. That obviously took some time. We now have an office. Um, and our first order of business was really to work with our board um, to uh, put together a strategic plan. And the strategic plan was very important. Um, for, for several different reasons, but I think just to name a few that are probably most important uh, is to make sure that, you know, we are being good stewards uh, of this investment. I, I don't look at this as a uh, something that producers are just sort of paying into. We view this as an investment, and as mm -hmm. a result of that, we view this as being um, uh, really an obligation for myself and our board to be good stewards and use of those funds to ensure that they are 
effectively accomplishing the mission uh, of the council uh, and ultimately, you know, putting, um, you know, making favorable change for producers here in the state. Um, so the strategic plan was, again, kind of our first priority. Uh, went through various uh, um, activities as part of that um, to make sure that we were outlining very key objectives for the council and that we had a mission uh, and a set of values, um, value statements that, that went to serve um, and ultimately uh, fulfill that, that, those objectives. Uh, the strategic plan was, um, uh, had a significant uh, presence of advisory members uh, who were producers themselves, both from beef and dairy. Um, and so I think we had a good group of people that came in and ultimately took over ownership in the development of this plan to make sure it was successful. This is not staff driven, uh, but was something that was put together largely uh, by producers, both members of the board and, and outside um, opinion leaders in the industry. Uh, we also had the opportunity to engage producers directly for a period of several weeks, actually months. Uh, we offered uh, a very good comprehensive survey for producers to take, as well as did uh, several outside phone interviews with producers uh, to get their feedback on the things the Cattle Council should be focusing on. One of the things that did come out of this as well is really a reliance on partnerships. When the vote occurred, um, uh, you know, we heard loud and clear from producers that they were making sure that uh, they did not want to see this become a new bureaucracy. Um, and so that's ultimately uh, what we're uh, going to work towards is ensuring that uh, these funds are put to good use, these dollars to the maximum extent possible are put towards projects and doing things on the ground. Uh, and so as a result of that, um, you know, we're really based on partnerships and, and making sure that we can work with really any individual academic or organization uh, to implement our projects rather than, you know, hiring a, uh, an extensive staff here in the office and, 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 um, and doing it internally. So uh, we really depend on, on partners uh, in the industry to help us um, achieve those objectives uh, through what I think will be um, significant amount of funding uh, that's going to be made available by the council to do that work. Awesome. Yeah, I think um, I think producers really made that known during the process of, of legislation and voting on the cattle council. Um, you know, both the, the actual legislation and the producer referendum that they wanted to see their money, actually their dollars working on the ground. And I think you guys have so far done such a great job of, of highlighting and, and showing how those dollars are being put to use. So it, kind of in that vein, can you talk a little bit about, um, in specific to our dairy members, how you've implemented some projects or maybe some of your upcoming projects uh, that they can see their dairy dollars at work? Sure. So, I mean, there were several um, opportunities that we've had to engage the dairy industry directly in support of, of issues um, and uh, activities that directly look to support dairy producers here in California. Um, and then, of course, as we were getting our a strategic plan up and running and hopefully getting to a point of where we were going to start acting and implementation. Uh, COVID-19 hit, so that kind of shut everything down for a little while. Of course. Um, we certainly did not lose momentum here in the office, but understanding that the industry was also focused on pretty substantial market disruptions uh, as well as some, some economic crises that went throughout both beef and dairy, um, you know, realized that hopefully as things get back to normal, we'll be moving forward with really pursuing those projects um, that are going to benefit dairy producers directly. I think, I think I'll mention two in particular. 
Uh, one, uh, we did have the opportunity to look at some um, smaller base projects uh, earlier uh, this year, in January, prior to uh, the development of our strategic plan, or excuse me, finalizing our strategic plan, um, but at the same time also prior to COVID. And so one of the things that Cal Council did do early on uh, at the request of the dairy industry, pretty widespread request of the dairy industry, is to support um, the sustainability conference uh, that's held here uh, annually in Sacramento. Um, and as a result of that, that request, we went ahead and, and, and put in for uh, the largest sponsorship available. Uh, that was uh, ultimately delayed due to COVID, but as I understand it, uh, they're looking to, uh, to hold a sustainability conference here at the end of the year. Uh, and that's really targeting um, you know, policymakers, lawmakers, regulators, uh, to talk about all the environmental benefits that dairy industry provides here in the state of California. And the second thing I'll mention uh, was specifically related to COVID. Uh, we received a proposal from Western United Dairies uh, to help support public affairs efforts um, just a few months ago to not only provide direct media outreach, but also to uh, work to um, really sort of drive home a message uh, that dairy producers are very active in the state in providing food and nutrition um, during a time of crisis, uh, and at the same time um, are also working through their own challenges. And so as a result of that public affairs effort that we helped uh, fund um, you know, through Western United Dairies, uh, there was mm -hmm. significant media presence around the state. Uh, we had a press conference that was held in Galt, California, uh, at a dairy, and uh, had pretty very good turnout from press, both statewide as well as local. And so uh, I would say that was a very successful effort, and we continue to move forward uh, with supporting you know, the public affairs efforts of the industry uh, during, during this time as the state begins to look at how we come out of the shelter-in-place order uh, and at the same time protect the industries uh, that right. are, are, are really essential to the state of California. Great. Well, I think our dairymen can certainly see, you know, and have seen those dollars at work, and we're hearing a lot of good feedback on our end from um, the efforts of the Cattle Council. And one of the um, efforts the Cattle Council has really stepped up for is um, getting producers, dairymen, and beef cattle producers alike to be able to engage with the members of the council and to participate on every level. And I just wonder if you could re remind us of who our representation is. I know we have quite a few dairy producer members that are on your board. So uh, we have excellent representation from the dairy industry uh, on the California Cattle Council, and we take our commitment to transparency, making sure that we remain open uh, and receiving the thoughts and feedback from our producers directly very seriously. Uh, individuals are, are always welcome to call myself in our office, uh, but certainly also reach out to your representatives. We've got a great team of representatives from the dairy industry, of which our vice chair uh, is Cody Nicholson-Stratton uh, from Ferndale in Northern California. Uh, we also have Jennifer Beretta from Santa Rosa, Tyler Rivero from Tulare County, Brad Scott from Southern California, um, Xavier Avila from Tulare County, and I will also mention uh, that we have um, uh, Roger Guest uh, serving on as well in a feeder capacity, but I also know he's a producer. Uh, and then we have good market representation as well, and I know in many times dairy producers talk to their livestock auction markets, and we have several of those, um, many of which are several of which uh, serve uh, the dairy industry directly. If there's one thing that we want to make sure we do the best at is making sure we're transparent, we're open, and that ultimately we are uh, making sure we're incorporating the feedback that we receive uh, from our producers across the state. Again, 
we look at this as an investment from them. We look at all of these folks as members of a very broad organization. And so we are always open and interested and participation from, you know, a large swath of producers in California. Yeah, and I, I think one thing that I appreciate that's really unique to your board, Justin, and a, a lot of folks really, you know, appreciate is that you guys had did something a little different. And one thing you guys did was bring in a public member to your board, and I thought that that was a really um, great choice to do. And yeah, so we actually have two public members, one member, one alternate, okay. uh, both of which are not directly involved in the industry uh, and both have PR backgrounds, uh, one working in the grocery industry and the other that um, works for a large-scale um, public affairs firm that's actually worldwide. And both of them so far have brought very good thoughts and ideas to the table, and we are very pleased to have them both. And again, uh, we're very pleased uh, that they're willing to give their time um, to supporting the California Cattle Council uh, in their role as a member and an alternate, given the fact that this is not a business that they are directly engaged in, but their opinions have been um, very valuable and well-received. Absolutely. It's a big, these boards are a big time commitment, you know, for your own industry, but to really step outside their comfort zone and commit that much time is really something the whole industry can appreciate. Um, Justin, anything else you'd like to add before we let you go today? <laughs> I appreciate you uh, you letting me uh, have the opportunity to, to join you today and talk a little bit about the California Cattle Council. We certainly hope that in the future we can uh, have the opportunity to uh, to get some of our members on as well that you can hear directly from them. And um, I, I hope folks know um, that, you know, we are here to be an effective voice uh, for producers across the state uh, and that we absolutely mean to be agile uh, and to be, um, you know, lean and making sure that our dollars are being put uh, best use possible for effective results uh, on the ground. If folks have, have any desire to, to, to review our strategic plan, we'll, we'll make that available. Anyone that's interested, and they can contact me or our office, and we'll make sure we get that to them. I think it's a great plan, and I think uh, producers that review it uh, will have the opportunity to, uh, to appreciate what's in it. Um, Melissa, I'm going to just quickly sure. read off our strategic objectives. Of course. Um, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, in terms of our strategic plan, we, uh, we developed uh, three strategic priorities. Uh, one is advocacy, outreach, and engagement with the main role for the Cattle Council to serve as an advocate for the cattle community to decision makers, including elected officials and their staff, government agencies, and other influencers while engaging Californians in the cattle community. Two is research, supports research that will help advocate on behalf of the cattle community as it relates to the environment, animal welfare, food safety, and other contemporary issues. Uh, and it, strategic priority three is issues management response, develop an issues management response plan that allows the council to quickly respond to issues likely to disrupt a significant portion of the cattle community, including its reputation, relationships, economic livelihood, or ability to continue current production or operations in California. And so we have, uh, you know, spent time focusing in on uh, those key areas. And I think, you know, as we uh, move forward with implementing our strategic plan, we'll see, uh, we'll see the majority of our dollars go into uh, investing in projects that seek to accomplish those objectives. And I think those objectives uh, were certainly, uh, or certainly echo uh, the reasons why producers voted to, uh, to approve this overwhelmingly. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Justin, for taking the time today. Um, they don't know it yet, but I'm planning on having your three dairymen board members on a oh. bonus episode here this summer. So we'll hopefully, um, 
loop you into that as well. And I think a good roundtable discussion from the producer perspective is going to be a really good way for members to learn even more about the cattle council and just the objectives and goals of, of the council moving forward. And I, I can tell you right now, the work you've done so far has been great. I'm so proud to, um, you know, work with you guys and we appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Well, again, thanks for joining us, Justin. That was a great conversation between you and Melissa. And today we want to revisit the COVID-19 issue. Over the past week, we've heard from producers who have seen instances on farm of employees testing positive for COVID-19. Fortunately, these instances are limited at this point, but we wanted to give producers a few reminders about what to do, one, to protect employees, and two, how to handle it if someone on farm is suspected or confirmed to have the novel coronavirus. So first of all, precautions every dairy should be taking are making sure that employees are updated frequently about social distancing policy on the farm, mask requirements based on your county guidelines, and basic personal safety precautions. You can provide handouts in English and Spanish available through WUD. You can give myself or Melissa a call with social distancing policies and other preventative measures, such as hand washing, use of masks, and avoiding large groups or outings whenever possible. Make sure to have hand sanitizer or soap readily available to employees at all hand washing stations. Review and update your sanitizing protocols for equipment, tools, etc. Encourage employees to let you know as soon as possible when they are feeling ill or may have been exposed to COVID-19 so that appropriate quarantine steps may be taken. Now, what to do if an employee comes to you with a suspected or confirmed COVID-19 illness? You should make sure that the employee is adequately prepared to care for themselves. Make sure that you obtain documentation of a confirmed case or that they are suspected to be ill and need to quarantine. And this can include a note from the care provider. You should notify other employees that are at risk that they may need to self-isolate for a period of up to 14 days if they've been exposed. OSHA clarifies that anyone who has had 15 minutes of sustained contact within six feet of the patient should be notified. Allow the employee the appropriate time to recover. Note that they are entitled to up to 80 hours or 14 days of paid sick leave, but they may need additional time to recover or care for family members. So consult with WUD or your insurance provider should that be the case. Finally, make sure to document that the employee has been put onto emergency sick leave and work with your tax professional to appropriately classify their sick leave pay so that you may receive the appropriate payroll tax credits. We know that this all seems like a huge burden, but we're here to help. We can connect you with a variety of resources, including but not limited to signage, attorneys for advice, a FELS consultation, and in some areas, resources for purchase of sanitizers and personal protective equipment. Now that the country is reopened, we expect to see a spike in cases. Many of our farms will experience this, but that stress can be reduced significantly. So don't ever hesitate to call us. Yeah, Darby, it seemed like we got through the woods pretty well during the kind of first major round of COVID cases, but it looks like in just in certain places, we're seeing kind of little um, pop-ups here and there on dairy. So hopefully that's a helpful reminder to our producers. Um, so anyways, thanks again for that update, Darby. And a huge thanks to both Annie and Justin Oldfield for joining us today on the podcast. Um, thanks to all of you for listening. 
Remember to reach out to us with questions, comments, content requests. We can be reached at wud.pod at gmail.com. My personal address is M-L-E-M-A at wudairies.com. And Darby, you're available as well. Yep, at Darby, D-A-R-B-Y at wudairies.com. And just remember, we would love you to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. We're available on a variety of platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. So thanks, everyone. The views expressed in this podcast by our guests may not directly reflect the views and or policy positions of the Board of Directors of Western United Dairies. We're proud to have many independent thinkers in our midst, but want to remind you that their views and ours may not be shared on certain subjects. Special thanks to Western United Dairies 2020 business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, FNR Ag Services, Farm Credit Alliance, Moss Energy Works, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information about how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at woodairies.com. That's I-N-F-O at W-U-D-A-I-R-I-E-S dot com.